direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I am your host, Toby Leary, and I look forward to this day each and every week where I can join with you and talk about one of my favorite subjects, firearms, guns, the Second Amendment, and self-defense, as well as freedom. So, Thank you for tuning in each and every week. I really apologize uh, for the <laughs> erratic nature of of this show. It's sometimes late, sometimes on time, sometimes gets canceled, sometimes it goes on as planned. Sometimes we have other uh, things going on. Like next week, we got Shot Show. So this is the pre-Shot Show show. <laughs> and uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit in the show what you guys would like to see at SHOT Show, et cetera, et cetera. Now, with that being said, I um, don't know if I'll be able to broadcast next week from SHOT Show. So that's going to be interesting. If I can, I will, um, because I want to. And I think it would be super cool to do this show from SHOT Show. And maybe I could line up a few guests and everything else. Um, so if I can pull that off, it's something I probably should have been working hard on for the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> but haven't for a number of reasons. Uh, but if I could, I should and I will. Um, if I can't, how about that for a promise? And uh, that would be... Um, amazing if I could pull it off. 
I have to do the same thing for the Grace Curly show because I don't know if that's all going to be possible either. You know, it'll be the same type of thing. I'll I'll have to uh, I'll have to figure out how to do that. But I've heard it's doable, and some people make it sound like it's really easy to do, and other people make it sound like it's impossible. Uh, but We'll see. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, this show is brought to you by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. So make sure you support them and their content and their products, uh, both really good organizations. And as I mentioned last week, I also have a um, new show every Sunday, which I'm really excited about, called Rapid Fire. And I was tempted to take that show in a different direction um, and talk local politics, talk national politics. But I decided there's enough people out there doing that, including the guy who is on before me. Um, And so for that reason, I decided this is silly. Why don't I just do what I'm good at and what I know how to do, and that is talk about guns and freedom and second amendment and self-defense. So our inaugural show kicked off. Some of you joined us because I did live stream it across this platform, which was um, cool. However, you couldn't hear the other side of the phone calls. And the reason I wasn't too worried about that was I didn't expect to get many calls on a brand new show. So I was pleasantly surprised that we got like four or five phone calls that hour. And with that being said, um, I you couldn't hear it. So I'm going to try to fix that next week. Um, so hopefully I can figure that out. I would love to if I can and uh, get that get that put in. And if I can, you guys will be the first to first to have it. So um, you'll you'll hear it. I'm having trouble broadcasting out to Rumble right now. It looks like I might have just fixed it. So hopefully if you're trying to join us on Rumble, you are now on. And I apologize for the hiccup there. I don't like how they make me create a new stream each and every week. And now there's a new static way of doing it. So I'm going to try that way. But I have to mess around with it, see how to see how it's done. Um, by the way, please like and subscribe to all of our social media content wherever you find yourself, you know, scrolling social media. We're at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. Um, that's, you know, the the best way to find us on X, on Instagram, on YouTube, on everything else out there. Um, all the mainstream big tech platforms and all the... Um, all of the not so mainstream social media channels out there like Rumble and Telegram and X, I think is considered mainstream, but um, let's see how it goes. So anyway, next week, as I mentioned, is SHOT Show. Uh, We got um, a lot to look forward to out there. I would love to hear from you guys what is getting you 
most interested about the 2A um, and figuring out, you know, which way, what things you would like to see from ma major manufacturers, from uh, product innovators, from the influencers out there uh, who, you know, are constantly putting out good content and putting out work and whatnot. Um, one of the things I'm looking forward to is reconnecting with some people that I met last year and trying to get them to, to commit to, um, yeah, to commit to being on this show and being participatory and being a contributor, et cetera, on this show. Uh, so I, I, that's one of the things I really look forward to. Um, one of the things that I hope happens with the Gundy's next month, next week is Mark Smith from the four boxes diner is a top five finalist for the 2024 Gundy awards as the most influential male in the two, a space. Um, I would love to see him win that, even though he's got, he's a long shot as far as, uh, subscribers are concerned. You got the top five most influential male uh, is Brandon Herrera, Sean Ryan, Clint Morgan, Honest Outlaw, and the Four Boxes Diner. So in that order, their total subscribers are Brandon Herrera has 3.15 million. Sean Ryan has 2.12 million. Clint Morgan has 1.43 million. Honest Outlaw has 1.21 million. Four Boxes Diner has 137,000. Cape Gunworks has four and a half million. Oh, wait, what did I just say? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> someday. Uh, if you guys all help by hitting the like, share, subscribe, comment, uh, and spread the word far and wide, high, low, to friends, enemies, family, uh, coworkers, and associates, I'd appreciate it. Uh, but so he's considerably way behind in the top total subscribers category. However, if you ask me, he is probably the most influential male on that list as far as the content that he provides because of a, the ripple effect. So he has, um, this profound impact on people like me who, really try to break down and understand the law, understand um, the nuance of Second Amendment law, understand the nation's history and tradition and uh, how to read the tea leaves, read between the lines, read, read what that means when this guy says this or what it means when courts rule a certain way or who's just posturing, who's actually doing the legal scholarly work of um, investigative um, historical digging, if you will. And he does all that. He checks that box. He is a professor. He's a member of the Supreme Court Bar Association. And uh, he's doing the scholarly work, uh, which is amazing. Um, and I would love to see him run away with it. And I would love to see people start to say, hey, this guy needs more uh, attention because of the work that he's doing in the Second Amendment uh, space. So um, if 
you know, Mark Smith as my vote in that category. And, uh, but who do you guys think should get the most influential mail? I'd love to hear from you, Brandon Herrera, Sean Ryan, Clint Morgan, Honest Outlaw, and Four Boxes Diner. Um, maybe I'll make that the poll question this week. Uh, that would be a good idea. Let's do that. I'm going to put a poll up on X and on Twitter. And um, so maybe we can make that happen uh, before this show is over. If I can multitask, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but I think it would be a very interesting, you know, you can also uh, sound off in the chat and I'll read those as we go, um, because I'd love to see um, what you guys think about uh, the Gundies and the male influencer of the year awards and et cetera, et cetera. And everything will get announced next week. So let's see how it goes. But um, I'm going to say the only problem is uh, Twitter only allows me to put four choices. So who's the obvious person to leave off? <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, and that would be great if uh, Brandon, Her uh, excuse me, if Elon Musk would uh, allow for more choices on this. Um, I don't know why I have to only have four choices for a poll, but I guess that's the life of X and the way Elon wants it. I think it's been going on a lot longer uh, since he, before he owned it. Um, but man, that's a good question, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know what the reasoning is because there's definitely a lot of, like, if you go to like the Howie car show and look at his poll, um, there's way more choices than, uh, than just four. So I guess they feel that's the best way to narrow something down, but, um, I don't know. Uh, let's see, uh, are there any of these guys that you don't listen to or don't um, follow? I tell you one thing, Honest Outlaw is has figured out the social media game because every time I open my Google, in my Google feed are his videos. It's unbelievable. It's almost like Hickok45 had figured out the YouTube algorithm because... Whenever I would play a video, even one of our videos in the shop or something, as soon as our video was done, guess what would come on next is a Hickok 45 video. So, um, man, for the life of me, I don't know how these guys do it, but I know it has something to do with uh, what you view um, and your search history and all that stuff. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, so let's see. Uh, so right now I got Mark Smith, Brandon Herrera, Clint Morgan, and I got to do Sean Ryan or Honest Outlaw as one, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's terrible poll data, but um, I'll say... 
Honest Outlaw. And I probably should have put Honest Outlaw and Mark Smith together because they were the two lowest. But um, I'm trying to make an unscientific poll more scientific, or I should say uh, less scientific <laughs> because I'm influencing it. But that's because, um, I don't know, that's how I feel. So uh, I'm going to say who, and you'll be able to vote in this momentarily, who should get the most influential mail? Um, of 2023 in the 2A space in the Gundys. Uh, all right, there you go. It is live. Uh, who should get the most influential mail in 2023 2A space? Mark Smith of Four Boxes Diner, Brandon Herrera, Clint Morgan, or choice number four is Sean Ryan slash Honest Outlaw. And just sound off in the comments which one of those two you would prefer to see. So there you go. All right, that's going to be up on our Cape Gunworks Twitter account. Um, I haven't been posting much to the Rapid Fire Radio Twitter account. And uh, that's just sheer laziness on my part. So I apologize uh, because... I should do better. And, <laughs> you know, when you have like 40 different social media accounts, it's like tough to post to them all. So one of these days I'll figure it out. But I'm going to cast my vote and uh, see how it goes. But I'll also pin this to the top of my feed. So if I can. I'm sure I can figure this out. Yes, pin to your profile. All right. Um, there you go. Um, go to X at Cape Gunworks, and it is live. Mike White agrees with me. Mark Smith for the win. Eric Philbrick says Sean Ryan. And uh, <laughs> G-Web says, proves the whole market. The contest is a marketing scheme, in my opinion. That's the most tone-deaf list for 2A I've ever heard of. I agree with you to a certain extent, but I think Mark Smith is the outlier. Um, I think a lot of the guys that get nominated every year put out some great content that's enjoyable, it's entertaining, it's it's uh, intriguing, it's in a certain way us living vicariously through certain people because of their ability to shoot or ability to... Uh, blow stuff up that secretly lies deep down inside <laughs> all of us. And uh, so I had a feeling that the the followers of this show would, would agree with Mark Smith. But you know what? Brandon Herrera, you know, as fun as a lot of his content is and silly in some ways, he also does uh, speak in the Second Amendment space in a very big way. He's running for Congress and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, again, Honest Outlaws is a bunch of reviews. So to me, that's just like, okay, cool. It's something people want to see, but that why not suit or um, why not 
Hickok 45 or why not, um, you know, uh, who else does it? Uh, the Mac, you know, military arms channel. Um, and if we're just going with reviewers, you know, uh, so I'm not sure they're the most influential in two a space, but whatever, I, I'm not even one to be able to, I, you know, those who live in glass houses shall not, should not cast stones. So, um, let's check out who the finalists are. Um, right now we have most influential female of the year. The, uh, I don't know who the, uh, it doesn't say who the finalists are. Darn it. Never mind. I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, there's a lot of people in that category. And so I thought they would have the finalists. That's weird that they don't. Um, but anyway, one thing I will say, you go to the gundies.com look under uh, categories, you'll see that there's most influential female and voting's all closed on this anyway, so it doesn't matter. Video of the year, most entertaining content creator. Who I would vote for is the Pew View. I think some of his stuff is just absolutely off the charts because number one, he's a really good shot. Number two, he does stuff no one else is doing. Number three, he uh, he does things that are risky, um, but not in a way that would get someone hurt or killed or shot or whatever. So um, there's that. And then um, there's, uh, what are the other categories here? Most influential male of the year, uh, most dapper influencer, best shooter. Uh, again, you could vote on a bunch of stuff. Hunter Constantine is the Pew View guy, so he's in there. Lena Michalik, uh, Eric Cortina, Jerry Michalik, Lanny Oakley, uh, Julie Golub. Um, so, oh, uh, the Pew View is not that guy, I thought. I don't even know his name. What is his name? And why did I think he was uh, Hunter Constantine? Because it looks like him, that's why. But, uh, He's a professional competitive shooter. So anyway, I don't know who all the finalists are in all the other categories, just the uh, most influential in the 2A space. And um, I think that is something that is the most important category, if you ask me. There is also a category of the best gun reviewer. And I would have to say Honest Outlaw has to be in there. Um, but I don't see him. Interesting. Suches and Hickok and Firearms Blog and all that good stuff. Another thing is, how come uh, Classic Firearms isn't in any of these categories? They put out more content than anybody on Earth. Um, interesting, but uh, Influencer of the Year. Never heard of them. <laughs> Guns and Gadgets is on that. Sean Ryan's on that. Uh, Coleone, the Armed Scholar. Uh, so that's all good stuff. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. We all wait and see. Um, 
the most influential male of the year, the ones that did not make it are Ryan Macbeth, T-Rex Arms, Tactical Rifleman, Hickok, Johnny B, Grant, uh, Clint, did Clint make it? Yeah, Clint Morgan made it, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Clay Co. 47, Mike Ritland, Jack Carr, Mike Glover, Magic Prepper, Haley, Impact Shooting, Kit Badger, Backfire, Student of the Gun, Ronin Tactics, Legally Armed America, Tactical Hy-Vee, Task and Purpose, Chad Wright, and Toby Leary. I didn't even make the list. So far, Mark Smith is dominating 62% of the poll. Um, and Sean Ryan, an honest outlaw, is um, 37%. But I don't see um, who, let's see, uh, out of the two comments, I don't see, they didn't say whether it's Sean Ryan or honest outlaw. So it's a little skewed already. It's screwed up from the start. Thanks, Elon. All right. Enough about that. Uh, what do you want to see at SHOT Show? That would be a good one. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, uh, Green River Armory on Insta says, my rights as a Maine citizen don't end at the Maine state line. The judge in the Lowell case agreed that the state has no authority to arbitrate which rights you can and can't exercise as a non-resident. Um, and I would agree with that 100%. Um, Mass is 0-2 in the last year for trying to enforce their unconstitutional schemes out on the state travelers carrying a weapon within their rights. Bruin was cited in the defense and the cases got tossed. Yeah, one of them was by a, a, a New England Patriots player and uh, mass compliant is going to be nullified by Bruin and other rulings very soon by my assessment. I agree 100 but I don't think it's going to be within the next like year or two. Um, I unfortunately think it's going to be a lot longer than that. It's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of um, probably two to five years, unless another one gets there first, gets to the Supreme Court, because we, we'll see what happens in the, in the, district i'm in mean, the circuit court um you never know it's going to be interesting so all right uh we will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors so don't go away i'm toby leary we'll be right back vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Thank you for joining us for Rapid Fire each and every week. This is episode 159, and I'm excited. Uh, hopefully, we'll get episode number 160 at SHOT Show, but I don't know. No guarantees, no promises. Um, maybe I'll do a quick live update or something, but there you have it. Hey, um, as if like 
someone was reading my mail or listening to my broadcast from yesterday, uh, post-Grace Curley show, I was talking about SHOT Show and the two guns that I really loved that came out last year at SHOT. And the Henry Homesteader was one of them, uh, which I have in stock, by the way. Uh, it's a very cool nine millimeter carbine, pistol caliber carbine in true Henry fashion with some wood furniture. And there's a whole big spread on it today on ammo land. Uh, and it's like a big review of it. So I thought that was kind of cool that when I opened it up and I saw that, I'm like, man, I was just talking about that yesterday. And that was one of those guns that I thought was super cool that came out at shot. And uh, we had two big crossovers last year. POF, Patriot Ordnance Factory, came out with a lever gun, which was also 9mm. Um, but it was a very tactical lever gun and super cool looking, by the way. But it's expensive, whereas Henry came out with the pistol caliber carbine that's inexpensive. So they both jumped over into each other's respective categories, but I think one did a better job of it um than that so uh asd is wondering what the equivalent shot show type event is in the east like near us in massachusetts and gwebs is saying the great american outdoor show in pennsylvania and that uh i would probably agree is a big big show however i'm still ruminating I've been thinking about this, guys, and I need your help. I've been really thinking about a way to do a consumer show because SHOT Show is a trade show, if you think about it. There's a lot of people that want to go there and probably get in with a buddy who's a gun shop or a law enforcement or you know, a YouTuber or something like that or a, a content creator of some sort maybe even just a videographer or whatever. They, they're, they're a manufacturer's rep. There's a million ways to get into SHOT Show, but it is geared towards the industry. It's to bring out the newest, greatest products, and they still get a huge amount of people to show up each and every year. And they're industry people for the most part. Um, so imagine if it was open to the public, it would be you couldn't accommodate it. So I would love to take the concept of gun shows and do a big one. I mean, a massive one that is similar to SHOT Show. So in other words, we have manufacturers show up almost like the NRA show or some big convention center where we have uh, all the major manufacturers show up with their booths that are similar in style to SHOT Show. And there, they're, they're presenting all their latest and greatest product. They're showing you the cool guns, the sights, the optics, the grips, the, you know, the latest and greatest. It's got their whole display. It's got their cabinets. It's got their branding and their trademarks and everything. And they are the big sponsors of this show. But you also have tables where vendors can, uh, for the local area, sell all the stuff that the manufacturers are presenting. So it's this synergistic 
epic gun show that, and I, I was even thinking like you could do it regionally if you invited, uh, like say we do the New England one, like, and we have it in New Hampshire or somewhere where there's a big convention center, maybe the Seaport Convention Center in Boston. Yeah, right. I'm just saying if we could get them to agree to it and do it, and we could have a huge expo that lasts three days and all the local gun shops could participate. And it would be real easy if we could electronically upload their, their, uh, their inventory to, I'm just throwing it out there. Let's create a new FFL for the event. And all of the sale part of it, all the 4473s, all the Mercs, all the background checks that are done on the local level, you know, the federal and the state stuff gets done in one centralized location. I mean, yeah, you could do it at each dealer booth, but if you're from New York, you can't do sell guns in Massachusetts. So what you do is you upload, you bring whatever inventory you're going to bring, you email it ahead of time. We upload it onto the books. So now we do all the transfers. We do all the actual physical sale of the gun. And, uh, you know, you just bring it up to the bench or to the booth at the time of the sale, hand off the end user. You go back to your booth and you start selling. We do the transfer, facilitate it, and you're on your way. I think it's brilliant. And I think it could really, um, and I'm probably, you know, if I really want to do this, I'm, I'm an idiot for talking about this over the year, but because somebody else could do it, but, and if someone did, I'd be happy for them and I'd participate. Um, but I, you know, would I love to do this and bring this, this is the vision I've been working on. I mean, G webs and I were talking about this over a year ago, like how to bring a shot show type of show to the consumer in a regional way. And maybe we do five shows a year. We do, uh, you know, the Northeast, you do the Southeast, you do the mid, uh, mid Atlantic, you do the Midwest and you do the West coast or whatever. Maybe you got to do 10. You probably got to do 10 if you were going to do it regionally. Um, but why not? I think it's a cool concept and it could really revive the gun show, uh, paradigm, which is a little old and long in the tooth and dusty. I think the gun shows are something that is frozen in time in, in 1994, 93, uh, where you get the guy looking for the weird wood stock for his Swedish Mauser. And, you know, he walks around the whole show hoping to find one or a weird scope or a certain type of scope rings or something that completes their German Mauser, uh, you know, from collection from the forties. I don't, I'm just throwing that out there, but Am I right? Is that where gun shows are in this day and age? I think so. Um, so, oh man, let's let's figure that out. Um, I think uh, I think that there's a lot that could happen. But Duncan says he had his shirt on up in Ashburn Ham. Ran into a few other that think the world of Cape Gun. We're oh, cool. Glad to know it's the vision is spreading. Um, guys are talking a lot about the Gundies. So 
anyway, uh, that's one of the high points of SHOT Show last year for me was the Henry Homesteader. Um, I like guns that I can sell here in Massachusetts, and that is certainly one of them. Um, and I would love to see more of that. I'd love to see more guns like... I, personally, I'd love to see a commercial manufacturer of the BRN-180, the Brunel's Upper, and I'd like to see a big manufacturer take that and do a collaboration with them and and run with it. Maybe maybe it'll be me. You never know. Uh, but I'll, I'll maybe I'll meet with Brownells at Shaw Show and try to make that happen. But um, someone needs to. I think that would be a great gun I could sell here in Massachusetts, and um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I like guns that are innovative that we can get. Um, Yes, we do need to talk soon, by the way. Um, uh, I appreciate that. I don't know if this is Carrie Ann or Renee, but in either case, we need to talk soon. So, um, yeah, what is something you'd love to see? I, Even if it wasn't for the state, state of Massachusetts where I can't sell ARs and AKs, I still like innovation. Like, I was talking about it the other day, the Robinson Armament XCRL and the XCRM is a gun that I think is an extremely underrated gun. I just did a pretty big in-depth review on it. It was over 10 minute video of, uh, of um, me talking about that gun. And I love the gun because I can sell it in mass. It's not the price point of the SIG MCX Virtus. It's way less than the FN SCAR. Um, but it's also a ground up design that takes AR mags and is extremely modular and extremely uh, versatile as far as caliber, barrel length, barrel weight, um, color, handguard length, etc. And so I like that. I'm like, hey, more of that, please. Can we get some more of that around here? Like people who will think outside the box. And I pushed hard, I mean really hard, on those M&M M10X rifles because I thought, here we are. Here's a gun I can sell. Here's a gun that's someone thinking outside the box, modernizing the AK, making it uh, a much more user-friendly platform, uh, taking all of the AR users' complaints of the AK and fixing it. But they just can't work out their kinks. And it's really, really uh, unfortunate. So I would love to see it. And I would have promoted the heck out of it. And I did, much to my own detriment, because I replaced a lot of rifles and I replaced a lot of parts on those guns and paid to ship them back for factory reconditioning and paid for bolts when they didn't have any for warranty, but they had them on their website for sale. So stuff, stupid stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they got a little bit of work to do as far as I'm concerned, but anyway, um, it was a glimmer of hope in my eyes that there's people being innovative thinking outside the box, modifying and making things better in, in ways or at least trying to. So um, that's really what I would love to see. I would love to see what would happen innovation-wise if there was no NFA. 
if you barrel length, if stock and brace and all that crap wasn't something you had to worry about every step of the way, um, it would be really nice <laughs> to to see. But here we are, right? It's it's one of those things that we have to deal with and eventually I don't think we will, but right now the NFA is alive and well. So yeah, there you have it. Um, let's see. Uh, um, I'm going to go to a quick break here uh, and then we will be back after this and I'll take your questions. Oh, if you want to call in, I've been remiss in talking about the phone number. It's 508-444-2120. You can call us. Uh, we we have the phone line open. So uh, by all means, uh, give us a jingle. We're, we're, we're there. So if you want to call the show, do it. Don't hesitate. Just do it. All right. I'm Toby Leary. We will be right back after this. Federal Ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's Federal Ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal Ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. All right. Welcome back. Did you miss me? I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. So, um, cool. Uh, as I was talking about before the break, um, the innovation, and someone is mentioning here in the comments, Duncan says, it's a great thing for the consumer versus military. And, you know, it's it's funny you say that because a lot of times, people who manufacture for the military uh, do so in a way that lands them government military contracts, but the consumer is really willing to spend huge amounts of money in order to get that uh, civilian version, excuse me, a civilian version of that gun. So we saw it with the stoner. We saw it with the uh, you know, the Knight's Armament. We saw it with uh, the Barrett M82, um, the M107s. So whenever something is made and targeted for the military, the consumer market is like, dang, I want to get my hands on that. And I wish there wasn't such a hard dividing line. Like, why can't we just buy the same thing that the military buys? Like, that's the way it was originally intended in the foundation of our country and uh, in the formation of our country. Um, and now we have people who are really trying to shape the narrative of saying, uh, oh, nobody needs a military style assault weapon. And that's nothing could be further from the truth. We absolutely need a military style assault weapon. That's what our founders intended, being necessary uh, for the preservation of a free state and uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. 
So, yeah, Robert brings up a great question, uh, something that's in my stack of stuff to talk about today. What do I think of the attempt to ban 556 ammo and were the 20 states, including our state, being one of those states willing to ban? All right, so this wasn't a ban on 556 ammo, uh, Robert. What they are doing is they're trying to stop the sale of 556, the military uh, ball ammo that is produced from the Lake City manufacturing plant that a certain ammunition manufacturer is awarded a contract every so often, right? So right now, Winchester has the military contract. So any of the M193 or the 855 ball ammo, the light armor piercing or the 55 grain FMJ stuff that is being produced in the Lake City factory is under Winchester contract. So if you see 556 in a Winchester box, it's most likely been um, been created in the Lake City uh, factory, which is a government facility that goes out to private bid and a private bid is either accepted or um, awarded and they manufacture for the military needs and for um, the government needs and then any excess they sell to the civilian market. So it's an efficiency of a government entity, if you will, because we all know that government, if they weren't allowed to, let's say government ran it and they weren't allowed to sell to the civilian market, I promise you there would be extreme waste and government, uh, you know, pork, if you will, um, in that whole operation. But the smartest thing they do is they sub it out to a uh, private entity to run and manufacture and and uh, they have pre-negotiated prices for the government contracts and they're allowed to sell any overages to the public. So uh, private sector efficiency gets involved with a government facility. And I think to a certain extent that should be done everywhere it's possible. So, you know, maybe uh, the Department of Natural Resources should be uh, put out to bid to a uh, a group like uh, National Wild Turkey Foundation or the National Elk Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Ducks Unlimited or something. I'm just, you know, I'm really mothballing here, but. Um, or spitballing, I should say. Mothballing would mean I'd be putting stuff away. <laughs> but uh, spitballing here. But maybe that would be a great way to get some private sector efficiency into government programs and organizations and whatever. So all that being said, 20 attorney generals, as you mentioned, uh, Robert, put out this letter to the White House Gun Control uh, Advisory Board or Gun Control uh, think tank that was created under the Biden administration that is trying to reduce gun violence in our inner cities, trying to reduce gun violence across the country, trying to figure out a way to ban guns, basically, uh, and get around this pesky document called the Bill of Rights. And more importantly, one special amendment to the Bill of Rights 
and that'd be number two. Because if it wasn't for that, shoot, we could have, we could have, you, you know, utopia in this country. There would never be another gun crime ever committed again. We would all just sit down in the in the fields and pluck daisies and put them in our hair, and we would dance around barefoot in our sundresses and sing kumbaya around the campfire until sunset. You know, that's what would happen if it wasn't for this pesky Second Amendment document that, you know, they've been trying to overcome for a century now, but dang it, they just keep running into people who actually believe in that silly, outdated, outmoded, old-fashioned, you know, document that was created by angry white men. I hope you all can uh, see how facetious I've been. But the point is, um, they have had massive problems and run into serious trouble of trying to defeat the Second Amendment for all of their interest balancing approaches, all of their tiers of scrutiny, all of their, um, you know, feel good, emotional knee-jerk reactions to every bad thing that's ever happened with a gun. And where have they laid the blame in the process? They've laid the blame at the feet of the people who aren't responsible. The Second Amendment community, the law-abiding, responsible gun owner, the 2A activist, the 2A advocate. And they've said, you know, if how many more are going to die before you realize that you know your rights are killing our children this is how they you know think about this stuff and you know i've been trying to find someone who will come on this show that feels that way that will talk to me and i will let them i will give them the majority of the time to talk i don't want to interrupt and and i i won't get into the you know try to counter argument maybe at the end we'll wrap it up but I would love to just look into the mindset of people who think that concentration of power in the hands of government and police only is a good thing. Historically, conceptually, and presently in this country and in this day and time. Why does why anybody thinks that is beyond the pale? I just, I just don't understand um, how anyone could say, give all power to government in an uncontrolled way. Because um, right now, government is of the people, for the people, by the people. So technically, they are just representatives of us. But yet, once that, that power shifts to government telling us what's in our best interest, because that's what would happen as soon as they have that level of power, then, and it's already happened to a a larger extent, but then the country as we know it ceases to exist and we're just like every other monarchy or uh, theocracy or, uh, you know, weirdly defined democracy or corrupt crony capitalist government out there. Um, But I believe in the American 
way of life. I believe in the American experiment. I believe in representative form of government, this republic that we call it. Um, it is not a true democracy, and for good reason. Um, the rights enshrined in the Constitution are endowed by our creator, not granted by man. So that's all important stuff, because if man could give it, then he could easily take it. And uh, that's what separates us from the rest of the world. We saw after a shooting in Canada, Justin Trudeau just willy-nilly named 100 and, uh, 1,500, 1,600 guns that are automatically banned, including Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> it's pretty funny if you read the ban list. Black Rifle Coffee is on the list. Um, so even coffee, uh, that's what first turned us on to Robinson Armament XCRs is when he did that, all these guns hit the market. Um, normally, they were very long lead time. And all of a sudden, I was able to buy a bunch and have the mass compliant work done to them. And I realized, wow, this is a great gun. So then he took it the next step forward and said, a Canadian does not have the right to defend themselves with a firearm, period, full stop. So your house gets broken into by a team of thugs with baseball bats, chains, pit bulls, whips, axes, and hand grenades, and you shoot them with your hunting shotgun, guess what? You're in trouble. Um, unbelievable. But that is the truth. And so uh, then he moved to ban all handguns. Surprise, surprise. So that's what happens. We saw it after New Zealand had their mass shooting. The prime minister banned guns or banned all semi-automatic guns. And that is the unfortunate thing that happens in other countries as a knee-jerk reaction to bad things that happen. Our country's different because we have something called a Second Amendment to the Constitution. And this is my long-winded answer to the question about uh, this banning of um, ammunition or whatnot. And that is, they can't ban ammunition. They can't ban firearms. They can't ban uh, guns that are in common and ordinary use as a knee-jerk reaction, like they did in the early 90s, like they did in the late 80s, like they did in the mid-80s, like they did in the 60s and the 70s, um, and even in the 30s. So those all those, all that gun control legislation was some emotional rhetoric to um, try to fix something retroactively, which never would have prevented the, the crime in, from happening in the first place. A perfect example of this is the uh, banning of guns in all post offices. We just saw this. Uh, we talked about it last week, I believe. We definitely talked about it on Sunday on my rapid fire show on Sunday. And we talked about it on Grace Curley's show yesterday. And that is that a judge in um, Florida has struck down the ban on all uh, post office or postal office uh, property. And the reason is because it doesn't say it in the Second Amendment of the Constitution doesn't say the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed except in post offices and sensitive locations. Doesn't happen, right? And so because of that, um, the judge found this law to be unconstitutional, rightfully so. 
And this was a straight knee-jerk reaction to mass shootings that occurred in largely by employees of the post office. And I think it's set the precedent that people are, judges are starting to follow the Heller and the Bruin mandate, thanks to the Bruin case. Um, unlike after the Heller case, where they kind of left the door wide open and didn't give clear instruction to the lower courts and the inferior courts on how to rule on such things. So um, we're going to see the dominoes fall. The problem is there's still activist judges out there in the district, at the district level, as we saw in Massachusetts, where the guy, the district court judge Saylor said that um, an assault weapons ban is not a violation of the Second Amendment and is in keeping with our history's tradition at the ratification of the uh, Second Amendment in 1791. Pretty funny. Um, but <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just reading the comments, Steve. Did I start some <laughs> new supplements? You're on fire today. Sorry, it's like an hour-long rant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tick off that other guy who says, ah, 80% rant. He was, he was uh, watching my show and coming up with the percentage of how much rant, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. Um, all right, guys, uh, let's go to a break and uh, rant will continue. The fire will continue. We'll breathe hellfire and brimstone. Uh, oh, I can't wait to get into the writing and style question. We're going to talk about that on the other side. Um, yeah exciting stuff so all right we'll be right back after this you're listening to rapid fire carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today the uscca can help fortify your home sharpen your awareness and develop your defensive plan go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Toby from Rapid Fire, and it's time for another Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. This week's Gun of the Week for all of you wheel gun fanatics out there is the Smith & Wesson Model 617. Now this gun, I am so happy to have back in stock. It has been on order for over a year. Um, I had some people with it on special order for over a year and I just couldn't get my hands on them. Smith just wasn't producing them. So we currently have the four inch version and the six inch version in stock. So they won't last long, but what's really neat about this is it's a full-size, full-frame revolver that shoots 22 long rifle, and it's got a 10-shot cylinder. So it's almost not even legal in this state, but just kidding. It's bumping up against the capacity of 10 rounds in this state. But the point is you can shoot it for a while without having to reload and get good subcaliber training. So those of you who carry a 357 Magnum or like to shoot the big caliber wheel guns will love shooting the 22 because there's no recoil. It's a ton of fun and it's the same size as the full size guns like the 686 and uh, you're going to love it. It has adjustable rear sights. It's stainless steel, has good rubber grips. So you're going to have to check out 
the Smith & Wesson 617. It's this week's Gun of the Week. And if you go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down until you see Gun of the Week and click on it. Use G-O-W at checkout for a very special savings on this unobtainium gun. I can't believe I'm doing that, but here it is anyway. It's the Rapid Fire Gun of the Week, and I'm excited about it, so hopefully you are too. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. The rapid fire gun of the week. I'm Toby Leary, and this is in fact rapid fire hour number two of episode 159. And I appreciate you guys um, tuning in each and every week. Um, I just realized I got bumped off Facebook. So I apologize if you were watching on Facebook. It's always a rocky road when navigating the 2A community or 2A content in big tech world. Uh, I just noticed Jared Giannis got kicked off um, Facebook and maybe that was the last straw. I, I started showcasing the 617 and you never know. Um, I'm going to have to check into that. But one of these days it's going to happen, folks. There's going to be no more... Um, content on you fill in the blank so uh anyway i hope that uh we're still viable there but you never know um i'm just double checking as we speak so that's why i am not a good i'm not a good multitasker as you can probably tell from here <laughs> but anyway i'll i'll stop because maybe someone who is watching will let me know but Where's the best place to watch? I think we should start to support the channels that support the 2A community. So um, Rumble is awesome. And what's cool about Rumble, it looks like I'm live now. So that's good. Um, I'm still live. So I guess it was temporary. Um, but Rumble is cool because out of all of the places where I upload video or I set up a live stream or I... Uh, put in my what category I'm in. They're the only one where I put in my category like podcast, radio show, whatever, and then subcategory firearms. They actually have it as a category. Facebook is like, you know, uh, some of their categories are ridiculous. It's like human events. Uh, it's art. It's education. And if you put in like any one of those things like education, because I educate people, I'm like, okay, I'm educating. And you put it in and then it's like, how are you educating through, you know, and it, it lists the, but it never even comes close to bumping up against a category that even remotely resembles firearms, rights, freedom, second amendment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So, um, Let's see. I got three of each, Steve. So there weren't many of those 617s. Um, let's get to the question at hand. Uh, 
what are my thoughts on the Supreme Court on Chevron precedent and how it could help the fight in mass? Um, Chevron, how it could help the fight in mass, I think would be, I don't know. That's a big, I don't know. I don't even want to go there because I don't know enough about, you know, how federal law impacts state law and et cetera, et cetera. Chevron was a federal law. I mean, not a law, but it was a federal case that came before the Supreme Court in the 80s. And Chevron is the was the plaintiff um, against, I, I think it was EPA, if I'm not mistaken, or someone like that, Department of the interior or some, I don't know, some federal government, governmental organization that Chevron was suing. And the courts ruled in favor of the government saying that they have a bit of latitude, in some cases, a wide berth of latitude in order to interpret laws that are ambiguous that were created by the legislature. So in other words, they create a law, they didn't think everything through 100%, and then they task the federal agency with uh, enforcing said law, and then technology changes or some of the contingencies crop up that they hadn't accounted for or allowed for in the writing of that law. And the federal agency was given interpretory power to say like, you know, the EPA who didn't want to dwell in wetlands or something like that, you did, they didn't want you to uh, drill in wetlands um, or in a sensitive area like a vernal pool or a stream or a, a marsh or whatever. They didn't want you mining or whatever. I'm just making this up. Uh, they could say, okay, you, you can't do this. But then somebody who wanted to said, oh, it didn't explicitly say in the law that I couldn't mine for, uh, you know, fill in the blank, uh, <laughs> some sort of uh, mineral or a, you know, peat or a, just use peat as an example. Like, you, you know, it didn't say I couldn't strip the marsh of peat. It only says I can't drill in the marsh for minerals and oils and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't explicitly say peat. So I'm going in there with my truck and I'm I'm going to start stripping the marsh of peat. Well, the, they could say, no, you, you're in violation of this rule. We have latitude to enforce that it does encompass peat, even though it wasn't explicitly named. Well, that's how the, now let's apply it to the Second Amendment. That is exactly how the, three-letter agencies like ATF have been able to get away with stuff like rule changes as far as the pistol brace rule or the banning of bump stocks or the uh, the rare bead breed triggers. Um, a uh, What are some of the other things that, um, that they've done from time to time? Uh, well, I mean, those are the most famous and recent ones, the bump stock, the uh, rare breed triggers, the pistol brace, oh, the frame and receivers, the other big thing. So they originally had this arbitrary definition of what made it into a frame. And it was 
coined in the industry as 80%. So like we could say, all right, they said this isn't a frame or a receiver and it didn't have like a pocket for a trigger or holes to mount a trigger to it, or it didn't have other certain things in it. So uh, the community started to build these things that made it easy for people to complete a gun and, uh, you know, sell a gun, et cetera, et cetera. And that was too much for politicians to bear. That's one of the big things that is happening in this state right now is the fact that um, we have this, the Senate, state Senate's going to be taking up the H4139, which huge call to action on that. Got to contact your senators and start to really hammer the phones, hammer the email, hammer the letter writing campaigns and make it all in your words and also troll them on social media to say that you vehemently oppose any and all gun control, especially anything and everything in H4139, and you will do whatever it takes to ensure that they are not reelected as senator if they do vote for such gun control measures or any type of expansion of our licensing schemes, et cetera. But they have firmly in their sights the, the homemade firearm rule and they want to ban it. And so do they, they do federally with the ATF and their frame and receiver rule. Now it's all tied up in court systems, but that's how they were able to enforce this kind of stuff. And they would make wide uh, interpretations. They were given broad latitude um, under Chevron to do this. So whenever something like this goes before the courts, the courts have to say, well, under Chevron, can they do this? And B, under the Constitution, can they can they do this? So I think it is really important that the courts get this right and get the Chevron deference thing to go away because it shouldn't be there. They shouldn't get wide latitude on interpretation of the laws that the legislature passed in some cases decades ago. If that if it's that outdated and outmoded, the legislature should have to rehear the case, right? If it's talking about technology changes and uh, you know for the things that affect um, our way of life. So it's obvious if it's within the scope of um, you know interpretation that they should be given a little bit of latitude, but not to jump the shark entirely and say and and act as the uh, form of the legislature. So the legislature has a history of abdicating their powers and and uh, giving them away to a either the courts because they didn't do a good enough job of writing the law in the first place or didn't know what the heck they were talking about and have no subject matter knowledge in it's just a simple knee-jerk reaction to a certain thing and they write some ad hoc law that addresses it poorly and leaves things open to interpretation by the courts and by um, these enforcement agencies so that's that's really uh, a big big deal for the second amendment because the atf has got away with murder over this type of arbitrary um, 
type of situation. So hopefully that helps. Um, and that I hope brings out how I feel about it. I think, uh, I think that the second amendment is worse off because of Chevron deference. And I think the courts really need to get that right. And ironically, this is so ironic how that Chevron deference case was something that applied to nothing to do with the, uh, the second amendment. And yet it's been applied to the second amendment throughout the years. You've seen other Supreme court cases that had nothing to do with the second amendment. And yet it, it totally infringes upon our right to keep and bear arms as a result. However, whenever you see a pro ruling and this, I hope is what will happen if Chevron does go away. Um, but whenever you see something like Murdoch v. Pennsylvania, which was a First Amendment case, have a ruling that you cannot charge a fee, sell a license or a permit for the enjoyment of a federal right. Period. But yet, that was in 1943. And here we are in 2024 still having to pay a fee to buy a license or a permit in order to enjoy our right to keep and bear arms in seven or eight states throughout our country. It is maddening how the opposite isn't true or the same isn't true when it applies positively to the Second Amendment. I've talked to lawyers about this and I say, how is it that after Murdoch v. Pennsylvania where, you know, there was a, a ruling that said you can't charge a fee, sell a license or a permit or, you know, have any type of requirement like that for the enjoyment of a federally protected constitutional right. Well, that was a First Amendment case. So what? So what that it was a First Amendment case? The, the point I'm trying to make is Chevron wasn't a Second Amendment case. And yet here it is affecting us. But Murdoch wasn't a first amendment, wasn't a second amendment case. And it doesn't affect us in the positive. We don't get to partake in the wins. Only we only suffer in the loss whenever it comes to eroding the second amendment rights, as our court systems have shown. And that is the most beautiful um poetic justice of Bruin is that. For all the decades and 40, 50, 60, 100 years of gun control, they had a, a golden age, if you will, of courts in the district and circuit court level, all saying because of interest balancing or because the people want it or because the legislature who was elected by the people have voted for it overwhelmingly. This is what they want. It's in the best interest of their communities. So you've got to give them what they want. And Bruin and Heller destroy that and restore the right altogether and say, oh, no, 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 no. Just because you voted on it in your ballot initiative on ballot initiative 114 in Oregon 
mean doesn't mean jack. You can't just vote away your constitutional rights. You can't just um, send a politician up on the state house floor and watch them pound the podium and say, this is what we need in our communities to keep our kids safe. And all of a sudden, like a magic wand, your right gets erased. That's the poetic justice of Bruin. And that needs to continue. And I think we will see it continue. And uh, I can't wait to help it continue. <laughs> so uh, it's that's the excitement that we live in right now. We're going to have wins and losses along the way, but that is the end result. That is the net. Uh, that's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And then it'll be upon incumbent upon politicians to figure out how to put violent felons away for long periods of time if they really are interested in keeping our communities safer. All right, we'll be right back after this. I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Well, that ended suddenly. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm enjoying talking to you. We're going to go right to the chat. Um, if, well, I said we're going to go right to the chat, but I have to say one more thing. And I know I've been up on the high horse today. I've been doing all kinds of monologuing here. But what I need to say is um, in regards to a bill that was introduced by uh, Bill Keating, none other than Massachusetts, is he the junior or senior senator? I don't even know. Um, that's a good question. I'll have to, I'll find out. Um, but he and uh, another anti-gunner um, have introduced this gun control, uh, not gun control, um, the most tyrannical bill I have seen in a long time. And that is the, the fact that they want to do away with uh, the militias, right? Or organized groups of people who want to get together and train and, uh, you know, drill and have a mission statement and have uh, arms and firearms and, and whatnot. And I just think that is absolutely unbelievably unconstitutional. Um, militias being necessary to the free state, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, here's a guy who obviously wants to ban all guns. He wants to now do away with uh, militias, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there's actually a recent article uh, by John Hopkins that says more gun control is needed to prevent a second civil war. It's like unbelievable. Um, but yeah, a recent report for the Center for Gun Violence Solutions 
which is part of John Hopkins, Michael Bloomberg School of Public Health, conflates private gun ownership with armed insurrection in order to advocate for expanded gun control. A 32-page study, which is tilted defending democracy, addressing the danger of armed insurrection. Let me just stop it right there because I don't know if you guys see the irony here. The When I testified before the state house last November, I, I got to admit, I chickened out a little bit in my testimony and I whitewashed it. I wanted to, I, I did call, I did say that, um, and we're getting a phone call. So um, let me hold this thought. I'm going to go to the phone. So uh, hold on one second. All right. You're first up on Rapid Fire. How are you today? Hey, Toby. It's Jonathan Stoden here. Hey, Don. How are you? Ah, I've got a bit of a hay fever and something or other, but I'll live. Yeah, you were talking about the guns in the post office. And if anybody has the time to read Title 18, Section 930, uh, Section H, it says that you can carry firearms or quote, weapons into any federal facility as long as it's for all lawful purposes. What do you think of that? That's something I did not know, but uh, I don't think too many people know about that. <laughs> I've stumped many attorneys with that, too. They're saying, Don, you're kidding me. Nope, there it is, right there in law. What is the law you're again? going into a federal Tell me the law again. Title 18. Yep. Title 18. Hold on. Section 930. Yep. And it's under the uh, uh, section H. It's way down the bottom. They got A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Okay. I'll have to check it out. Um, interesting. No, I've, 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 I've queried this with many attorneys. And what? That isn't the law. And I, I pulled it out, and there it is. Wow. Well, son of a gun. And now you were talking about Murdoch. Yes. Now, <laughs> that is so funny. An attorney says, well, it only applies to one inalienable right. And then you, you look at them and say, do you know how stupid you sound right now? <laughs> it only applies to one. Have you ever heard of a poll tax? Yes. When the Southern Democrats forced blacks to pay money to vote. Hmm. And... Um, all of a sudden, uh, that, that became a right. Now, under that right, Toby, the right to vote, if a state were to charge a tax or a license or a fee to vote, wouldn't that be unconstitutional, Toby? Absolutely. Well, just because it's not written in the Second Amendment, shall not be infringed, shall not be infringed encompasses every manner of infringement out there, Toby. Right. I, I don't agree. care if you, if you use the wrong color pen the wrong color paper, if if you're wearing a flannel shirt when you drop off the application, that's irrelevant. Hmm. All right? And furthermore, because shall not be infringed means that, you're absolutely right. You cannot license a right because it's not a right. And I always throw this in the face of many curious folks out there. I, I ask them, why is it that the federal immigration law used by Joe Biden to distribute illegal aliens all over the United States cannot be infringed by any state law. Mm. 
But the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights can be infringed by any state or local authority. Yeah. And I never get an answer, Toby. Yeah, you ask a lot of good questions, Don, and they go out into the universe, and hopefully someday they will return to you with a full dress down of answers <laughs> from the people you've asked them to. <laughs> well, or a big apology. I'm glad that you picked up on. Yeah, I'm glad that you picked up on Murdoch, and uh, read nine thirty <laughs> section H under the Gun Control Act. And furthermore, the 1968 Gun Control Act is unconstitutional. There is no privilege in the Constitution that allows them to enact such a law, Toby. Oh, man. You're, you're definitely preaching in the choir here. So, uh, and you but, know what? The worst, the worst part of it is they know that, but they do it anyway because they get away with it. True enough. And then I bust their chops saying, well, can you prove to me that the law is necessary and how efficacious is it by your monitoring? Does it do the job you enacted it to do? And then the silence is deafening again, Toby. Crickets. Yeah, no. Well, 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 Don, we can't show you where we have the authority pursuant to any section that we can enact this law, nor can we show you why it's needed, nor can we show you if it's effective at all. Well, that's a wonderful law. Then maybe we should make more laws like that for the Constitution to uphold, huh? Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, uh, but a lot of people um, just take the recent history uh, for granted and think that's the way it is. Unfortunately, and uh, but the the I believe people are waking up and seeing it, and uh, the tide is turning. So we just got to. I'll I'll leave you with this one last point, Toby. Okay. The judge, or the sailor, was saying about we have to look to the regulations that were in in action during the Revolutionary War regarding gun possession, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. With with the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment, all those regulations were negated. It's as if they never existed. The only law regarding firearms is the Second Amendment. Mm. Yeah. That's it. So I, why did they enact it? You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, some people and would have you all those regulations. Some people would have Go you ahead. have you think that they enacted it so that they could show that the federal government has the right to keep it bare arms. Some people actually believe that. Doesn't it say militia? Which is, oh yeah. yeah, it's like, oh yeah, because governments always put in writing their right to keep and bear arms because uh, it's not no. axiomatic uh, that government has a right to defend itself against enemies, foreign and domestic, but. Anyway, um, thanks for the last, call. Last point. Yeah. Uh, all those regulations back during the Revolutionary War by the king, weren't they? Uh, I believe a lot of and them were. If there was against. no king to enforce them, yeah. If there's no king to enforce them, are, the law, are those laws applicable now? Mm. No. You're right. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Don. I appreciate you. Take care. All right, guys. Yep, have a good one. Bye-bye. Um, so, yeah, Don always brings up some great points and has the law and the text to back it up. I'll have to check out this Title 18, Section 930, Subsection H, and see what it is. But um, so there was a press release by Ed Markey. Um, I think I was saying Bill Keating by accident, but it was Ed Markey. Um, and Congressman Jamie Raskin. Jamie Raskin. So it was... Uh, 
yeah, Senator Edward Markey and Jamie Raskin uh, were introduced the Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act, legislation that would create a federal prohibition on paramilitary groups throughout civil and criminal enforcement. The prohibition would hold individuals liable who directly engage in certain types of conduct, including intimidating state and local officials, interfering with government proceedings, pretending to be law enforcement, and violating people's constitutional rights while armed and acting as a part of a private paramilitary organization. There are currently no federal laws that address paramilitary activity or protect millions of Americans whose rights are threatened by this type of violent anti-democratic intimidation. Just curious, when's the last time one of these paramilitary groups attacked and uh, killed people? I can't think of a, a time that they're, you know, and I know there's a huge stretch about uh, January 6th, which we're not even going down that rabbit hole. But, um, and I wonder if this will apply to Antifa and BLM and stuff like that, who were obviously uh, a very well-organized group that were uh, intimidating, let's call it, let's use their language. Uh, but they only named the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, which traveled across state lines on January 6th. And uh, these private paramilitary actors, such as Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, pose a serious threat to democracy and the rule of law. So here's what I was trying to say. The irony is, guess what country would have never formed had Ed Markey and Jamie Raskin been in place in 1775? You guessed it, right? Because, well, I highly doubt the, the patriots of 1776 would have listened to said tyrants. But when I was testifying before the state house, I was pointing out, and this is what I was going to say before the call, and I stopped short of pointing out, but I did say that uh, people like Michael Day were trying to finish the work of the redcoats that marched on Lexington and Concord to take and seize the guns from the colonists. And now, oh, and the part I stopped short of, and I wanted to point out how ironic it was that some of the anti-gun rights groups wear red as their color of choice because they're in lockstep with the red coats. And guess what country would have never been founded had people like the Red Shirts and the Jamie Raskins and the Ed Markeys and the Bloombergs and the Giffords and the fill-in-the-blank groups had their way with the, with the people. You guessed it. So at some point, um, at some point, this is going to all come to a head. And there's going to be people who will comply with unconstitutional gun control because the, you know, I've had this conversation with many, many people and we have all complied with it to a certain extent. We all say shall not comply. And there's 600,000 of us with license to carry cards in our wallet and trigger locks on our guns at home or in a safe at home, which I'm not trying to say don't do. I'm just saying we do comply while saying shall not comply. And that's the part that 
the anti-gunners are hoping for is that we will continue to comply with their unconstitutional rules under duress and the threat of incarceration or worse at the end of government guns. So that's all uh, I'm saying is it's, it's going to be hard to, uh, it's going to be hard to convince 600,000 people that it's in their best interest to not comply. And, and you know what, there's a very, there's a line in the sand somewhere and I don't know where it is. So I don't know where that line is that we, we all have different thresholds or different levels of comfort of exposure. I have erred on the side of caution in my business over the last nine years, not wanting to give them any reason to roll me up and charge me with some unconstitutional crime. The There's other people who have said, come and get me. Smaller shops that have that basically do it as a hobby that are, you know, professional careers in other spaces that are like, come and get me. And the funny thing is they haven't, they haven't, he's, they've called their bluff and they haven't acted. I've watched and said, Hmm, that's interesting. If somebody like me calls their bluff and says, come and get me, maybe they would because I'm a bigger fish to fry. I don't know. But the bottom line is we all have that comfort level. And I've testified about this. I've spoke publicly about this. You've heard me say it on this show that there is a place that will come where I will say I can no longer comply with your unconstitutional laws just in an effort to stay relevant and to stay in business and to stay in the game. because. If I comply, I'm out of business. If I don't comply, I'm out of business. That's the threshold for me. And the first iteration of 4420, the one that came out this summer, was absolutely 100% that type of um, situation. It was by far put me out of business type of legislation that I would not have complied with which means they would have put me out of business anyway, but I would have went out for all the right reasons. Um, so we all have that little, that place, that, that moral place where we say, I'm not, I'm out of time. I'm not waiting on courts to get this right again when the Supreme Court of the land has already said it and has already ruled on it. And we have tons of, federal court justices around the country concurring and doing the right thing. But we have local anti-gun courts that are, you know, doing the wrong thing. But we have seen some wins in local courts too. We saw one uh, when we got closed down from COVID, Governor uh, Justice Whit uh, Whitlock or Woodlock. Yeah, uh, I think it was Woodlock. Uh, allowed us to reopen. Fast forward to Lowell. We have the two people that came across the border um, with guns and got charged with unlawful possession of a firearm. And they have now 
uh, been had their cases thrown out. So I would love to see that continue and happen uh, to to see wins like that, you know, throughout the throughout the Commonwealth. So, all right, what was that law that the first caller mentioned? He mentioned a few of them, but there was a Supreme Court case, uh, which was Murdoch v. Pennsylvania, 1943. And then he was also talking about Title 18, Section 930. And you scroll down to subsection H. And uh, it was about that it's lawful to carry a firearm on any federal property as long as it's for any lawful purpose. So, um, yeah, so that's the... uh, Let's see, uh, what differentiates the SIG MCX Spear sold to many FFLs throughout Mass and the traditional AR? Well, uh, Jonathan, the answer that it's not an AR is the answer uh, because they did a ground-up redesign. It looks and feels like an AR, but there's you can't take a SIG Spear upper off and put it on an AR lower without severe modification of the lower and make it work and vice versa. You can't take a AR upper and put it on a SIG spear lower and make it work. It won't work. It can't work. It never will work. And uh, it is a ground up redesign. So even SIG doesn't call it an AR. They call it the spear or the MCX. And they have other guns in their repertoire that they call ARs like the M400, or the 716 or the 416, the tread, um, those are AR platforms. So any gun, so you got to understand what the mass assault weapons ban says. It says any gun that is a copy or duplicate of, and then it lists a bunch of guns, AK-47, AR-15, Galil, uh, FNFAL, FNFSC, uh, Tech-9, uh, what am I forgetting? Um, I think that might be it. Uzi. Uzi's one that I'm forgetting. Any gun that is a copy or duplicate of those guns cannot be sold in Massachusetts, which, by the way, is a huge jump of logic. And somebody, and I'm tempted, but I haven't done it, should test this in the courts because um, the the bottom line is there's 10 years of precedence in all 50 states of this law being enforced in a very different way than the attorney general enforced it here in Massachusetts almost 20 years later. So the bottom line is um, it it was the bottom line is it. It was, we capitulated because they did something very smart. And that is, they didn't go to 600,000 gun owners and say, hey, we're going to come door to door. And we're going to see if you have one of these guns that you had legally obtained over the past 20 years. uh, Because it is a copy or a duplicate under our new definition. Um, So get ready to either A, turn your gun in, or B, sell it out of state or C, destroy it. They didn't do that because they knew there'd be another revolution. What they did was they went after the 600 gun dealers in Massachusetts and said, hey, here's how we're going to be enforcing these regulations and these laws now. 
And if you sell one of these guns, you will be subject to a $10,000 fine, which will fund your own prosecution. You will be subject to years of incarceration and you will be subject to fees and fines on top of that. Have a nice day. Good luck. We're not going to tell you what guns you can and can't sell, but you definitely can't sell those. So that's really what that came down to. Um, let's see. Uh, um, yeah, why don't they ask us to board uh, trains for concentration camps? You're right. Re-education camps. So that's the big difference, Jonathan. I hope that helps. On a fixed mag with a 16-inch barrel, not including a muzzle device, is it required by law to pin and weld flash hider to make said barrel incapable of accepting a suppressor? No, foreign wolf. That is definitely not required. As soon as the magazine is fixed in the gun, it is considered a non-high capacity, non-large capacity, non-assault weapon. It can't be considered an assault weapon, even if it has the bayonet lug or the flash hider, as you point out. If you pinned and welded a flash hider on a post-ban AR, you'd still have a felonious object on there called a flash hider. But if you have a threaded muzzle, a flash hider, a bayonet lug, a foldy collapsible stock, and a grenade launcher on your fixed mag AR, doesn't matter. Can't be considered an assault weapon. The big key to the assault weapon is a detachable magazine, semi-automatic detachable magazine, and at least one other of the features I just mentioned. So nope, you can have the threaded barrel, you can have the flash hider and all the other stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, I bet I didn't know Hunter's gun ended up in the trash because he was upset the barrel wasn't big enough to support his habit. <laughs> oh boy. I know the barrel, the gun ended up in the trash, but for what reason, I don't claim to know. Um, I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, the um, since we're talking laws and regs, does anyone think the ATF should ban storing cocaine in your pistol pouch without a license? Oh, boy. Um, I think that uh, Steve is in rare form, form today. Um, Let's see, his letters always start out, and this is talking about Ed Markey, the same way. At a time when firearm-related injuries are the leading cause of death of children in our country. I believe that, yeah. Um, you get his form letter responses, which is funny because we try not to send form letters to our uh, legislators, and yet they send them back to us. I remember getting them from Ted Kennedy's office. Join me today in eliminating guns in our communities and make our communities safer. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is painful. Um, I don't have lawyer friends on my show anymore as a regular guest, um, but I will be having them on as a special guest. So uh, I haven't reached out to any lately, but well, I did actually, I take that back. I did talk to Andrew Kucher, who's been extremely busy. He was involved in the Nagger case that um, 
that was the assault weapons ban and high capacity weapons ban that was ruled uh the the judge sailor upheld the mass law in the district court and since it's been appealed to the circuit court uh he is no longer a part of that case the big gun lawyers will be taking that over so that's um that's good uh but i'm going to try to get him on i haven't spoke to keith R lately or or uh jason and uh also um we had someone else that was on with us before i forget who smith that's who it was william smith came on uh so maybe we'll have another talk with him i'll probably try to get uh mark smith on from four boxes diner again as well he he would be um in my opinion a good one to talk to the federal stuff going on you know what's amazing though is some of the local uh, lawyers I've talked to who do operate in the 2A space, um, they they don't really keep tabs on what's going on federally, um, which I find incredibly interesting because you'd think that the federal law would help help us and help our cause. But anyway, I don't know. And I will say it's a very moving target. Every day something comes out that's, you know, just unbelievable. It's uh, we have laws and that are tried in court that are struck down. We have them reversed and upheld and go to this, you know, just they can flip flop. So it is maddening to try to keep keep. Uh, it's maddening to try to keep up with it. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there's an article on ammo land ceo for oldest america's oldest and largest civil rights organization uh a ceo is wanted only qualified applicants need apply and um it looks like they want uh it says wayne lapierre the executive chief officer of uh, Chief Executive Officer of the NRA has resigned. Speculation has already begun as to who will fill the position vacated by Lapierre, but the NRA should not rush to fill his designer shoes. In my opinion, the board should only consider those candidates who satisfy the following seven qualifications. One, actions speak louder than words. The ideal candidate must have demonstrated commitment to the Second Amendment. Um, two, the ideal candidate must commit to advancing the growth of Second Amendment scholarship. Three, the ideal candidate must have a plan for advancing and expanding the NRA's lobbying efforts. Number four, the ideal candidate must have a plan for promoting gun culture in the United States. Number five, the ideal candidate must recognize the importance of our youth and have a plan for educating them about firearms. Uh, number six, the ideal candidate must have a plan to get out the vote. Number seven, the ideal candidate must be a person in uh, uh, ensure legal compliance in all aspects of the uh, about uh, of the organization. This is actually an article by Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner, and he gets into the explanation of all all the bullet below those bullet points. Um, so yeah, definitely want to have it be a very qualified individual who 
it's probably not as important that he be well known, but I do think well known would would be a really good idea. Um, but it has to be a total operator, in my opinion, somebody who knows how to navigate the challenges and nuance of a massive company. Um, so something to be said for that. Uh, yeah, here's an article too about uh, the anti-gun Democrats that concoct a phony scandal to be uh, to ban ammunition. Um, this is an opinion piece on Ammo Land. Uh, I'm not sure who, who wrote it, but uh, Mark made a great uh, point that they were talking about the billions, plural. So he's saying it's a minimum of two billion rounds that has been sold to the civilian market. Um, is causing people to die on our streets. And he said, if every mass shooting event that has taken place in this country shot as many rounds as the Las Vegas shooter, which we know is crazy, it would end up to be like 14,000 rounds were expelled in mass shootings. And that's also assuming every mass shooter was using Lake City ammunition. Then it's like infinitesimal the amount of rounds that were actually used to commit mass shootings um, by the Lake City plant. And I find that funny and, and, a, and a good point as well. So um, they're making the point that there really isn't a problem here. Dana Lash fit that role. I used to say that I would, I would be all about Dana Lash, but a lot of the liberal gun owners are like, heck no, should be another Wayne with lipstick because of her political views. And she's hard right. You know, she has her own show, I think, um, on some cable news network. I'm not sure which one, but I like her. I think she's great. Um, I haven't really seen too many missteps on her part, but I, I really should suit me fine. Uh, way easier to look at than Wayne LaPierre too. <laughs> um, but you know, if, I don't know if she's an operator or if she's, I mean, I'm sure her intentions are all good, but, um, the liberal side of the gun owning community, which I will say is very small. So I don't think we need to weight that info as heavily as, you know, the majority opinion, but if we want to continue to grow the second amendment, if we want to continue to expand the second amendment into the uh, groups that aren't traditional gun owners, we need to be able to reach across the aisle and get Democrats, get independents, get um, those who are not traditional gun owners to, to sign on and maybe somebody a little bit more charismatic and a little less like political lightning rod could get that done. And if the, the organization could get laser focused on gun rights, like that's one thing FPC does very well is they are so focused on challenging bogus gun laws in unconstitutional gun laws in throughout the country. And that's what I really like about him. And I think that on that list that Mark Smith put together, um, I think the one about uh, 
the ideal candidate must have a plan for advancing and expanding NRA's lobbying effort and uh, expanding gun culture and uh, the get out the vote. That's all really, really important. Um, and I think that those should be probably in the top three and really commit to uh, the preservation of the right to keep and bear arms. And the best way to preserve it is to expand it. Um, could Colion, I think, is a he's another good one. I don't really know where he stands politically as much as some of the others. Um, and I think he's, I mean, he's been pretty outspoken, but I think he could, I like him. I like him. Uh, I like Colion, but let's see. I believe the sales from the last years, all those demos already bought guns and they are or, organizing among themselves because of their perceived lack of outreach. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I had a short list. I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Uh, yeah, I really don't. As a follow-up to the MCX, why do they make you fix the stock and weld the muzzle device, assuming it's not a copy or duplicate? Okay, great, great question, Jonathan. Um, and the reason is any gun that's not enumerated on that list can be considered an assault weapon if it has a semi-automatic action, detachable magazine, and at least one other feature. So fill in the blank. If, if it's a Springfield M1A and it has a pistol grip and a detachable mag, it can be an assault weapon. Well, it's a two-feature test currently. Under the new proposed law, it'll become a one-feature test. And thus, plus there's new features that they've added. Right now, the features are flash hider, threaded barrel, pistol grip, detachable mag, collapsible stock, folding stock, bayonet lug, grenade launcher. I think that's it. And now the new law that is passed the House and is going to the Senate includes a detachable stock, whatever the heck that means, includes a barrel shroud to keep your hand from getting burnt, whatever that means. Um, it also includes a vertical foregrip and uh, what else? That might be it. But they're expanding this features test to include those three features. So because of the detachable stock and the barrel shroud, any semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine will be banned in this state, including like a Browning BAR, semi-automatic hunting rifle with a detachable mag because it has a end on the stock that you can grip and keep your hand from being burned on the barrel. Maddening. So I can't think of a single gun that would not be banned that has a detachable mag and semi-automatic action. Can't think of one. Um, maybe if the Arrow survival rifle made by TNW 
with their barrel nut instead of their handguard. Um, if they made like some awkward New York style compliant stock, so it didn't have the pistol grip, it just had like a Monte Carlo stock. Maybe that would fit the definition. But at that point, you're just trying to stuff a square peg in a round hole. So I wouldn't even bother. But um, hopefully that answers your question, John. Jonathan. Um, Illinois is about to allocate 10 million, five times budget increase to state police for gun confiscation for people there who haven't registered their assault weapons. Yeah, I really like what's going on in Illinois. And um, we seem to think that Illinois' gun ban case will make it to the Supreme Court before California one or before anything going on in Massachusetts. So they're one to watch. But how ironic that, or interesting, I should say, that they passed this comprehensive assault weapons ban and nobody's registering their guns. They must be just crying tears of tyrant tears. Like, what? No one's complying. I think it's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. Who wrote this list of ideal qualifications? <laughs> uh, that was Mark Smith. I'll tag the article in Ammo Land. Uh, and it's a good, you, you got to read into the nuance of it because it's it's not just a bullet point. He explains each one and how it's really good. So um, let's see. Rooftop Koreans, yes. The Asian com uh, community is the best kept secret for Pew Pew support. Uh, that's good to know. Allow firearms training. Um, and uh, TJ points out the rooftop Koreans. They were they were great uh, during the whole riot. It's not the only community either. However, a lot of the Asian people usually just keep quiet. Yeah, they do keep quiet about it. Um, but um, I would like to see the Jewish community really come out in support, especially after what happened in Gaza um, or in southern Israel on September 10th uh, or October 10th, I think it was, or October 6th or 7th. Um, I'm, my dates are all blurring together. Have they added a grandfathering provision? Yes, they, they have. And Michael Day, I believe, um, spoke wrong when he said that it's a grandfathering provision. It is a, what do they call it? It's a provision that will allow you to keep it, but not transfer it, not sell it, not, you can sell it out of state, destroy it, surrender it. But if you want to pass it down to your son, eh, wrong answer, not going to happen. If you want to uh, sell it to a friend, not going to happen. Just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, it's it's just not going to happen. So, unfortunately, that's that's the way it's written and uh, lame. All right. Blockhead says, a question, when you buy a firearm from an FFL, your firearm is automatically entered into a registry. Is that correct? In Massachusetts, yep, from a Massachusetts FFL. We are required to do something called a Mercs, 
which is a Massachusetts instant criminal check system. And funny thing is, it doesn't check anything. It's the same basic portal as the EFA-10. Um, so I'll show you what it looks like um, if I can share my screen. It's basically, uh, if you go to the, let's see, I have it here somewhere. No, I guess I don't. So if you go to, it, it looks very similar to um, the, what do you call it? Um, I'm not going to log in, but uh, this is the login screen. So I put my username and password, and then basically you put the, um, put the person's uh, information in, then it allows it to proceed. And then you can put the gun information. It allows it to proceed. But it, once you're, you have put the person's license number and pin number in, it never kicks you back out for whatever gun you use. It'll allow you to register any gun you want. But, um, it, and the funny thing is, yeah, it doesn't check anything other than the person's license and pin number. So if, if it is an invalid pin or an expired license, it won't allow it to proceed. That's the only thing it does. And then it just um, goes into a database and there you have it. So uh, that's the way that is. Um, getting rid of all the features you just mentioned uh, makes the rifle more unsafe than anything. Yeah, no kidding. Here's a gun with nothing covering the barrel to keep your hand from being burned and no pistol grip. So you're stuck with a Monte Carlo style stock. And where does your support hand go? Maybe on the magazine, which could induce a malfunction. Uh, maybe on the butt stock and it's just flinging around. So your aim is going to be way less. Uh, it's just maddening. And this is, I was talking to someone about it earlier today uh, about the people who write these laws. Oh, we were doing a NFA transfer earlier today. I was, I was facilitating a, I, I sold an NFA item and they were having dinner. And th I think this is so cool. Um, the, this couple came in and they wanted a Benelli M4. I didn't have one in stock. I had the, um, I had the, uh, Beretta 1301 tactical. And I'm trying to explain like this gun is remarkable compared to the M4. It's just as good. It's lighter. It's shoots lighter loads. It's got all the bennies. And I said, it's got a real nice grip texture, put it in the wife's hand. She goes, it's a little aggressive. I don't really like the grip texture. I'm like, okay. Oh, I do have a short barrel shotgun. I forgot in a Benelli M4 in my vault. Let me show it to you. I put it in her hand. She falls in love with the thing. She's like, this is what I want. This thing is great. And I'm like, well, you can buy it. You just got to go through a whole bunch of extra paperwork, pay a $200 tax. And uh, she's like, I'm in. All right. <laughs> and so I found it super cool that somebody with very limited firearms knowledge and experience jumped into the NFA process after me explaining it and was willing to pay the 200 bucks, thought it was so cool. When I've got friends and mentors in this industry who have never filed an NFA paperwork because 
they don't want to do it in Massachusetts. They don't want to give the feds 200 bucks. They don't want to give them fingerprints, photographs, et cetera, et cetera. And they refuse to do it. And they're afraid to do it in some cases. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like this couple. Oh, and they bought the Benelli, uh, the Beretta 1301. So they each got a shotgun, the husband and the wife. So anyway, what what my point of all explaining all this was they were out to dinner with some friends who were real gun cranks for a long time in this state. And they told them they were filling out NFA paperwork. And the guy looked at him and said, you can't do that in Massachusetts. You can't get one of those. Yeah, the dealer sold me one. I can. And we're completing all the registration and everything. No, I don't think you can. No, you can. You can. In the state of Massachusetts, you can buy short-barreled shotguns, short-barreled rifles, and machine guns. The only thing you can't buy is a suppressor. Um, so it's, you know, yes, you got to jump through hoops like you do in any state for NFA items. Um, and you need an extra license if you want to buy a machine gun in the state. But that's a very expensive sport to get into. Um, so there you go. Well, thank you, BG. I appreciate it. And uh, none of those gun laws below says are written with the intent for safety. I would agree with that 100%. Um, HPS, long time no see. And where the heck have you been hiding? Uh, finally chimed in. Um, so if Mass decides to do a confiscation on the people who purchase through a Mass FFL, is that how it will go down from this registration? And how is that legal? Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when they show up to your door for 209A restraining order violations, they know exactly what guns you have or what guns you did have. In ca some cases, you've sold them and they still think you have them. So they know what to look for. And uh, yeah, and this is hugely unconstitutional. Um, it's legal because they say it is, but it's not constitutional in any way, shape, or form. Uh, our country was founded with ghost guns, unregistered, unserialized firearms that the government had no idea what the caliber, what the brand, what the muzzle length, you know, the barrel length was, what the caliber, what the capacity and I say capacity because there were guns with more than one capacity back then, believe it or not. Excuse me. Uh, like the Giardoni rifle, which had a 22-round capacity. Just ask the Lewis and Clark expedition. They took that on their, on their, uh, on their expedition with them. All right. Um, it is ridiculous that suppressors are banned. It would be make us better neighbors at the club and ranges and home ranges. I agree. It is stupid. Um, and a couple more questions here. If someone is arrested and charged with a bunch of things like assault with a dangerous weapon, assault and battery, and in court, all charges were dropped. Can the PD deny his LTC if he technically was? No. The answer is no, they cannot. If you weren't convicted, you cannot be denied. However, Massachusetts holds on to this thread, this hanging chad of suitability, even though the federal government, well, even though the federal courts, in namely the su Supreme Court of the land, said if they're not a prohibited person, you can't deny them the right to keep and bear arms. But Massachusetts is 
holding on to this hanging chad and uh saying that well if they're not suitable and that's for me to determine says local police chief then they don't get to exercise their right to keep and bear arms um but yeah they are trying to pull that continued without a finding will not prohibit you warren uh anymore it would have prior to bruin but uh continued out of finding is basically supposed to be as if it never happened when you go through your maybe during the probate probation period but once it goes away it goes away anyone who is prohibited because they were continued without a finding has a massive lawsuit on their hands now so anyway that's the story around lake will be gone as this as the saying goes and uh uh yes he will be able to get his ltc in court hp guys um i've talked myself horse here as usual um that's the best show i got this week and uh i appreciate you guys chiming in and tuning in and being an active participant the chat was on fire and i appreciate that um i love talking to you guys each and every week hopefully i'll be broadcasting live next week from shot show but let's see how that goes. I will be there. I just don't know if I'll be broadcasting. I'll try to do some little clips and uploads at night in the hotel and stuff like that. So um, we got all that to look forward to. God bless. Hopefully I'll see you next week from shot. If not, I'll see you in two. And don't forget, you can listen this Sunday on rapid fire. I'll try to get the callers to be able to be heard on my end, but you can always go to WXTK 95.1 news radio and listen live there or the iHeartRadio app. We will be broadcasting live noon to one on Sunday on local talk radio, 95.1 WXDK. All right, God bless guys. Love y'all and I'll see you next week. Take care.